I get if I shh, give me some time, I'm going to start trying to convince the world that the sky is green. I just got to get people to believe it. And once you get a majority of people to believe it, it becomes the norm. <laughs> Hey everyone, I'm Kirsten. And I'm Maria, and this is MK Let's Talk About It, the show where two 30-somethings who have been friends for more than two decades discuss topics that are often on our mind and do our absolute best to stay on topic, but fail every time. Today, we're talking about motherhood and how, as mothers, we experience and cope and work through our children's struggles. motherhood does it it sound like fun no (laughs) (laughs) oh being a mom Uh, man i was thinking about there's a lot going on right now and i won't go into a lot of details but i i was thinking about um when i was when i was pregnant my sister (laughs) my sister gives me crap because you know i don't i don't know how many people out there in the world have been pregnant in their lives and what kind of insurance stuff like they like that that they have but when i found i was pregnant and i went to my my physician um they immediately gave me like a book to read like basically what what to expect when you're expecting type of book um Mm -hmm. and somebody else also gave me a book very similar to that in nature and so I had these books and I did not read not near, near one of them. <laughs> hey, I, that's okay. Cause neither did I. Right. Like I didn't, <laughs> I didn't read anything because of my crazy schedule. Well, not, it wasn't crazy, but because of my schedule and my lack of transportation and just things that I had to do personally. And I was by myself. Like I didn't go into any classes. I didn't do jack crap. Um, you know, <laughs> I did the same exact thing I because I was in grad school right? and it was like, I had to pick, am I going to read this grad school book that I need to read for class and write my papers or am I going to read this child birth book and child rearing book and go to these classes and grad school won out? I mean, that's fair. And I'm sure there's lots of people who would think the exact opposite but i i'm like yeah i would have picked grad school over the reading of the child books any old day because like (laughs) when i think about we've talked about this we've talked about it in terms of like counseling and social work that like the the learning process and how a lot of these theories and development models and blah 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 are really centered around like white middle class kind of family-esque people and it's mm-hmm. like well at the end of the day like I looked at some, like I think I read one chapter right after my son was born and it was like uh what to expect it was the next the next book in the phase so not when you're expecting but yeah. when they're born mm-hmm. and I read one not even a whole chapter I probably was looking for some sort of information about something because something was happening and I looked at it and I read it and I was like this is mm-hmm. not at all 
pertain to my child. This is not helpful whatsoever. <laughs> oh, so no. I, I tap my human resources who have had children and it's like, hey, what's up with this thing? And mm-hmm. so I'm I'm actually really thankful I didn't read any of those books. Bec- and I also like I I think about the people who did or the people who read all the things where they have the expectations. What should your child know by this point? Um, mm. And how how many people I know hold their child to those standards and so like how pumped and flex they are when they're cut when their child is like above and beyond doing like magnificent things but then how depressed and disappointed and whatever else they're feeling when their child isn't living up to the expectation and I'm like your kid's a kid like he's trying to they're trying to figure it out like you know, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if you can put a timeline truly on that and then you know the last you know this past year you know I've noticed like my son is brilliant. Like he's truly a brilliant young kid mm-hmm. and um, he's so curious and he's so loving. He's all these things. But like I've noticed some things that he's I I think he should probably be doing by this point that he doesn't do or he does it very minimally. And so, you know, I brought that concern to my do- to his pediatrician, which has just led down a whole series of things and we're sitting through these assessments and they're asking these questions and I'm like, why, why is that the typical three-year-old thing to do? Like, I don't understand. So like, I'm like, there's this like dissonance with me. Cause like, I'm like, there's nothing wrong with anything. Like if your children have disabilities of any type, like there's nothing wrong with that. And you just learn how to live life through that. Right. You like, you're just going to experience mm-hmm. life different and it's going to be beautiful in its own way. And like, I know that, but then I'm also like, why are these the defined stereotypical norms for kids, adults? And so it's just led me down through a whole different path of thinking as a mom and like my expectations on my child, society's expectations on my child, his expectations on himself. How is he going to be prepared for school? Like all of these things. And I'm just like, I'm constantly feeling a little stress, a little bit like I'm not showing up or showing out for my child, even though, I know that's not true, but you can't help but feel that way when you see that your child is struggling in something like, I'm like, oh, I should have, I should have done this a little bit more or provided this opportunity a little bit more. I don't know. So that's my, my really long rant. Like it's, I'm, it's, I'm just tired right now. Tired, emotional, a little stressed out on all the things that have been going on the last, even the last month. Ugh, I'm over it. (laughs) My son's being homeschooled. Screw society. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, wait, wait. How did we jump from homeschool to screw society? <laughs> I don't I don't know. It seemed right in the moment, but you know, it's a little extreme. A little somewhat not it's really. It's your feeling. I can't no judgment. No judgment. <laughs> just wondering. It was a big jump. It was a big jump. I was just curious. So yeah, I mean mm-hmm. it's a good question. <laughs> Because my my older son, my like child child and not the baby, um, something that I noticed when he was going to daycare when you know it wasn't a pandemic and we sent him to someplace like daycare, um, we would get these evaluations for him that we had to self evaluate 
and see if he was doing things and answer questions like, can he draw a circle? Can he draw a person? Um, does he eat with an, a fork and spoon and like use them well? Does he like does he alternate feet when he's going up steps? And I remember being like you mentioned, like really anxious about, oh, what does it mean if he's not doing that? Why is my child not alternating feet when he's going up the steps? Should I tell him to alternate feet when he's going up the steps? Or should I just wait for him to like figure that out for himself? Because either way, he's getting up the steps at this point. <laughs> right. That's a huge win. Like, And the same with the, the food. Mm-hmm. Like you pointed out that these are not culturally inclusive or maybe I don't even know if that that term exists anymore or what the appropriate term would be but culturally competent because as a a Filipino person you know a lot of I I use utensils of course I use utensils it's just that I I do also eat with my hands a lot and my son seeing my example, also eats with his hands a lot. Mm -hmm. And when I got to that question about utensils, I was like, I got mad. (laughs) And I wrote a note on it (laughs) saying that this wasn't inclusive because it's like, I I mean, how important is it for him to use? I know they're using that to gauge something else. They're using that to gauge some sort of fine or gross motor skills. But I just wish they used a different question because it's just, I like, is it bad that he's eating food the way that I eat food? Should I force utensils on him? And then, like, you know, in turn, force utensils on me? <laughs> That's the big part. Do I enforce this on me? Can <laughs> I can I follow what I'm going to make him do because he's going <laughs> to look at me and want to do the same thing? Um, it is really stressful. It is super stressful. So if you see that your child's not hitting those benchmarks, and I didn't read any books, I would get those like newsletters. I signed up for a couple newsletters and they send you like a weekly email telling you like the gist of where your kid should be. Mm -hmm. And I just take it with a grain of salt because number one, I'm not reading them super closely just because I, my attention span again is all over the place. You're not in grad school also, anymore. You can't use that as yeah, an excuse. Whatever. No, <laughs> come on. I've I'm got two kidding. kids. Yeah, you're <laughs> busy. Like, I'm not even a friend. <laughs> uh, it's just, I mean, as long as they're happy and healthy, I don't, I don't know what else really matters to me at this point. But I do understand when it comes to like preparing for school. Mm-hmm. Because they're going to go into this. Wait, how do I want to describe it? Because we both are in this system. (laughs) This giant system that is not designed at its core. It's a flawed institution, you can say it. Yes, it's a flawed institution. And it wasn't designed to help people follow their dreams. It wasn't designed Mm -hmm. to accommodate different kinds of learners like teachers and educational professionals are absolutely doing everything to kind of bend the system to work that way but it was not designed to be that way and just the way that kids who do not meet those standards or kids who 
they deem as behind, get the way that they get treated, the way that they're stigmatized, it it's just hard to go into that, especially as educational professionals, the way that we are, mm-hmm. and go in with open eyes and be like, this is what I want for my child when, when you kind of know the, the uglier side of it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I I was... I, I ended up actually having a conversation with my brother because he has a son not too much older than mine. And mm-hmm. um, he was just telling me some general conversations he was having with his son's teacher and some of the kind of things they were leaning towards and trying to say. And I immediately, when I was hearing, I'm like, oh man, red flags, red flags. And so, you know, just having to be like, don't don't let them lump your child into a deficit space. Don't let don't let them have him think that he's coming from a place that's behind everybody else. Like the kid I also think that kid is pretty amazing. He's so different than my son, but his skill sets are just like phenomenal and um and in that conversation I could tell that there were moments where the system was defeating his his child and so when i was thinking about the stuff having to deal with mine and how quickly like even through the process these are it's these assessments are focused on the deficit right they're not focused on all the great things that your child can do mm-hmm. um but and so like the whole premise to me i'm like oh this is it's already coming from a place that I try not to be for anything that I do. Like I, you know, social work is strength based, asset based, Mm -hmm. goal oriented, solution oriented. We don't like, I know assessments exist where of course we're looking at some deficit models, but like in my mind, the way I've always approached the work, and this is probably why I've never went clinical is because I don't want to approach the world from a place of negative I want to approach the Mm -hmm. world from a place of of growth and possibility and so like I just had a conversation with I mean lovely human beings and I was I had stalled on not stalled but I was hesitant to even do this with with this group because they're tied to to a school system that my child will, will most likely go through And it's like, what Mm -hmm. happens when you slap on early on, especially to a brown child and a brown boy more specifically, um, you know, potential for a potential for an IEP or a 504 plan or something like that at a young age? And how does that carry on through their academic experience and how many teachers that I know personally or or heard of stories about across multiple places, not just my world? That like as soon as they see that they just assume that what a child is incapable of, and and I like so I have to like really sit with that. And so I did like I wanted my child in this particular program. That's what I mm-hmm. wanted. And I you know I have a feeling that once he's in it and he gets comfortable and he understands his settings and understands what he's allowed to do. Um, and what he's supposed to do, he's going to thrive and he's going to have a great time. And I, it might not be a problem, but n- just knowing how the system works and knowing, you know, through various means and experiencing various things, like, like that fear still sits there. Like what happens when he's in K through five? What happens when he hits middle school? Um, 
will he be best prepared and ready for those more strenuous, rigorous programs if he has this thing slapped on him, this label slapped on him of what he's not able to do or what is hard, not even not able, but what is hard for him to do. And so it's just, it's a really stressful experience. And I, I have to give a lot of kudos to parents who are all alone in the process or don't really feel like they, they kind of hide from it or they feel embarrassed Mm -hmm. by it or they, they don't know, they don't know a lot. And so they feel shame by it. Um, or they feel like it's their fault because it's so easy. I'm someone who knows all mm-hmm. the things and I still was like, oh, f- crap. Like, I'm not I'm not a good parent. <laughs> like, and mm. these are things that are most likely beyond mine, my my control and even my child's control. Like there there could just be something that's just there that we have to learn how to maneuver through. And I so me knowing all the things and still having to like process through that i couldn't imagine a parent who who doesn't know who can't help but feel like they've done something wrong or they're in a culture where they it's not okay to talk about it it's not Mm -hmm. okay to be Mm -hmm. honest about the struggles and the tribulations that you're going through it's not okay to show a weakness so you you just act like it doesn't exist and then you don't even get the help that you need and the support and the resources that you could have if you were just made to feel comfortable that you could talk about it, you know? Yeah. No, and I've seen like this broad spectrum in my job. I, I've dealt, you know, I, I help with IEP. Well, about not about. Yeah, I do. I help with IEP evaluations. I go to the IEP, IEP meetings. I do 504s. And I've seen like the range of families and students who find themselves in a situation where they qualify for services at a school. And so I've seen the families who are working the system to their benefit and are super knowledgeable and obviously have the time and ability to get this information from resources that they have access to. And then I've seen the families who don't even want the services they want it as far away from their child as possible because they don't accept it culturally they don't want to accept that about their child in general and just all the implications and impacts it has on the the student and their ability to go through school and what what they're aiming for after school and the thing is that I hate that it's done from a deficit perspective. What I wish it could be reframed as is a different set of expectations or a different timeline for things. Because can we just accept that the typical timeline for child development is very narrow? Mm -hmm. And is is that something that we can adjust and it's not that your child is behind like let's get rid of that wording your child is not behind this is their this is what we project their development to be and this is how we can support that development yeah I think the reason why we avoid doing it that way is because that takes a lot more work (laughs) 
I know it sounds really messed Everything's up. Everything's going to take work. That takes a lot more work to really embrace the, like, just think about, scratch all the things that we're talking about right now and just really focus on, like, let's talk about education and how we approach students. And, like, by each grade level, you're supposed to know X, Y, and Z, right? Yes. That's the expectation. And we mm-hmm. know that we've had to differentiate our teaching for at least 40 years, right? When, you know, mm-hmm. when we really started embracing like IDEA, IDEA and all those, all those things to support students who, who are not on that same trajectory. So we've been differentiating for about 30, 30, 40 years. You get COVID. <laughs> COVID knocks us on our butt. It's still knocking us on our butt. Education doesn't look the same. Now, parents and community are pissed because their child is like failing and they don't understand anything um, according to their perspective. Right. And teachers are being Mm -hmm. forced to be like, no, these kids need to know blah, blah, blah by this grade level. And they're already behind. They're already behind Um, because we lost a whole year to virtual learning, which a lot of great teachers were doing a lot of great teaching in that yeah so to say that all these students lost learning because of whatever teachers weren't doing they weren't in person they weren't as effective is i think utter bs but we won't i won't get into it <laughs> <laughs> and so like so we're back to this like we have to we have to recap and do everything again that was lost last year and now we got to make sure they're staying on point and i'm like looking at these young people i'm in these buildings and i'm like this ninth grader may look like a ninth grader they might have the right height the right age the right amount of facial hair whatever i'm like okay i can i can believe that they're a ninth grader but their educational maturity to be a ninth grader is not there like they are a seventh Mm -hmm. grader they are a seventh Mm -hmm. grader and that looks different and instead of slowing down and taking it by case by case basis and just recognizing like here are essential life skills that need to that young people need to know and let's let's really focus on that and make sure that their mental health is good like we said we would when they pushed us back into the buildings right (laughs) right we're still focusing on pushing this this very specific very narrow as you said it way of development and that i mean that's just one system so like it's always we lump everything together to simplify the process, knowing that every single kid in that process is not going to fit. In fact, most often the the process that works best for students to be successful are the students who don't actually need to be in school to be successful. Like they can do the learning on their own. Um, and so like, it's just easy to, to follow Piaget and Erickson and whatever in their development models uh because it gives you a weird baseline but i'm like who created like i know who created the baseline because i just said their names but like (laughs) who participated to create that baseline and and is it time that we expand our theories of human development and actually incorporate like what's really happening in the world and it just that takes a lot more work and no i just don't think people want to do it you know so it just lets us as, like as most, parents be, be angry and frustrated and sad and, you know, all the feels. Like most things <laughs> in America, we do not want to dedicate the time and effort and funding that would be required to do something Mm-mm. the way that it would ideally need to be done. 
Mm-mm. That makes sense. Always. I mean, that's, you know, it's kind of written into our our framework. So. Oh, for sure. You know, <laughs> it's cool. I mean, it is important to know. I get that we need to know what a student, what a kid, what our own kid needs support on in order to get better. But can we do it in a way? Can it be framed in a way where you don't feel like utter crap and a failure <laughs> and you're questioning every single thing that you have done with your child or have not done with your child to to find a reason why this has happened instead of accepting that all t- all children are different. All kids are different. Mm-hmm. They don't all read at the same level in second grade, even though there's a second grade reading level. Like, you've got to accept that there's outliers and your kid's going to develop at their own pace. But that it also, you know, as parents, you cannot give up all of that responsibility to someone else as well. Yeah. Like, I can't if... Yes, you have to... like, Like, that's the thing. If your child is able to get diagnosed with something i worked at a school where do i want to say it is in a more affluent area at and i was an after school program person and a lot of the parents there would have open conversations about how they would go to a specific doctor to have their child treated for something um, to get around any diagnosis with the mention of the word autism so that they didn't have to get labeled with that in school mm-hmm. and I would sit there and th- and sit there and think how have we gotten to a place where something that is totally common that is mm-hmm. that so many people are are impacted by is considered like a dirty secret. And and what does it say about our school system and the way that we frame things that, that parents feel the need to hide it to perhaps the detriment of their child, right? There's so many rights and services that you get when your child is determined that they need an IEP. There's so many things that you get Nobody in this school wanted that because of the rest of the stuff that was attached to it, the way that other parents would view them, probably the way that they view themselves, the way that other kids would view their kid, the way their kid would view themselves, like the way the school would treat their kid. So it's just, it's sad. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. You're like hitting everything that's been crossing my mind on, on the head because like, especially this you know autism spectrum disorder it's such a wide array of things and it can mean a lot of things and i i'll i'll even dial back a little bit i remember i was in hawaii i was working for the city and county of honolulu and my supervisor this was early on in that career and um my boss had tapped me to become a supervisor for a summer youth program that was focused mm-hmm. on getting students with disabilities employment and even i oh, i remember this <laughs> and it was like literally that was probably one of my funnest jobs it was probably some of my like some of the best co-workers i've ever had um mm-hmm. and I, I loved it 
but I remember when it was first talked to me like and it was first I was first approached about it and my bias came out I didn't say anything in person but I I had to think about it I went home and thought about it because in my head who I envisioned as a a person with a disability um, was a lot more extreme and think like how movies specifically often portray. Mm. And when I say movies, I'm talking like nineties and before I think the aughts and the Mm -hmm. current Mm -hmm. they're, they're doing a better job at actually (laughs) identifying people with disabilities in a less extreme way, but think like nineties and before like super extreme, um, lots of lots of barriers lots of whatever and I'm like how am I I thought in my head how am I could convince places and in businesses to hire these young people um Mm -hmm. with very little experience in doing this work like it was I never particularly worked with that with the population specifically like there might have been people within my my worlds that may have had a disability and was probably an unseen disability and so I I probably never knew Um, But I immediately went to the extreme and the reality was like they were some of the best kids ever. And what they taught me Mm -hmm. was um, like they're actually more. A lot of my students were students who were blind. And what I learned from them is that they're actually more aware of their surroundings than people who see because the fact that they are blind. Right. And so like the the word liability that would get thrown out when I work with businesses I would push back on because they would have like ADA on their web pages and blah 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 and they would have all they'd do the Mm -hmm. lip service but when it came to actually hiring somebody with a disability there was like pushback and um but they the reality is is like i i often walk without thinking about what i have to do to get from point a to point b and i am not gonna mm-hmm. lie i've tripped over my own feet more than enough times and i ran in indoors <laughs> more than enough times because i take for granted the fact that i can see and so i don't think about it but like all these young they're so aware of of their space how much space they take up and like the surroundings that they like that's one of the first things they learn is if they're in a new place like they're mm-hmm. so good at learning their their spatial awareness that they don't it's unbelievable and i was like oh shit excuse my language oh crap <laughs> like, <laughs> like this i i have a bias and i have to let it go because i'm so incredibly wrong and so once i got over that kind of hoop and that was we I think we were in the training process. So it was before we even did placement. But some of them were some mm-hmm. of the best employees for some of these employers that they yeah. offered full time jobs to. I'm, I'm talking about I had a young blind girl who was oh she wanted to be a cook and I put her in a in a uh food place, like a fast food spot. Mm-hmm. And originally the person who I worked with her like, What are we gonna do? And I was like, No, no, no. Just let her explain to you what she needs and then go from there. And she was hired on the spot. She was hired full time after that. Nice. You know what I mean? And so, like, I think that's what happens with parents. Like, especially when I think of autism, I think that the what people think when they think of somebody with autism is someone who doesn't speak someone who mm-hmm, shows mm-hmm. no signs of affection, someone who rocks back and forth or makes weird noises. Mm-hmm. Like they just, 
they have a very stereotypical vision in their head of what that looks like. And more, I'm going to be honest, more affluent people that I know like are embarrassed by that. Mm-hmm. And the reality is the spectrum is a very large spectrum. It's a very mm-hmm. large spectrum. And yes, there may be people on that spectrum who do one or a few of the things that I just mentioned, but like the other things that they do do could are levels of brilliance that you would never even like notice if you don't give them time, but like they can be, like I said, they're some of the smartest, brightest minds in the world that we know about are probably on the spectrum. I, I bet if you did research, yeah. you would find out that they were, um, and and really what it just means is that like they may experience feelings different. That doesn't mean that they don't experience emotion if they don't show it the way that you think affection should or affection should be shown. But it's there and it's just we have to get past our own our own bias towards that. And so I think when we talk about like implicit bias and equity, like that ableism, we never talk about ableism. Never. Um And I find that fascinating because that's a part of it, right? Like we normal people, I put that in quotations, decide what normal Mm. is. But like, yeah, I get if I give me some time, I'm going to start trying to convince the world that the sky is green. I just got to get people to believe it. And once you get a majority (laughs) of people to believe it, it becomes the norm. I mean, that's how money works, right? Money isn't no, real. No, if you tilt your head, if you tilt your head, it's your slightly green. Bit. Like, it's just mostly green and slightly blue. Right? <laughs> like, you just, I don't know why you think that color is blue. That's so weird. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, and we, we do that all the time. We make up stuff all the time. Oh, for sure. And I think a big problem, I think a big problem with the way that we grew up is that, and probably I don't even know how it looked, but I cannot imagine it was any better before we went through school, is that they were people who, kids, sorry, I should just call them kids, kids who were labeled as special education, as having a deficit, as behind, uh, they were completely separate from us. Yes, We didn't have any classes with them. There was like this whole segment of our school population and we did not go to a big school. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea who they were. Mm -mm. And that's messed up. How that's so messed up to not have any idea who these kids were. And now that I'm a school counselor, I can't imagine putting kids like in a siloed situation like that where the rest of the entire school doesn't even like recognize you as a peer. Mm-hmm. How awful is that? And then what ideas does that give the other kids about who you are, what you're capable of? You're in a different classroom all day. And and really when we say normal, like, okay, I'm quote unquote normal i cannot think out of the box (laughs) i am like the worst out of the box thinker and i like the other people who see the world differently people who are neurodivergent it's so beautiful they can see things that i would never see how boring how plain am i that i think inside of the box the way that 
I was taught I was supposed to, and I just happened to fit into that. There's so much beyond that. And I, I've been working with special education kids as a counselor for five years. And then, you know, my husband's a special education teacher and he's been in, oh my goodness, it might have already been a decade. Really? That's a long time. Yeah, because he was a paraeducator first. We're not, that's too much. (laughs) He was a paraeducator first, right? So I've been married for 10 years. He's been in special education for 11. You guys are old. You guys, not me. (laughs) But, But my view, I mean, my view started to change when he was working at a school where he was working in special education because that was a completely different lens than I had ever used before because we just never got exposed to them which is a shame it's just not just a shame it's shameful and I'm thinking of my kids now because I specifically after working with those kiddos and having my husband be who he is I, I created that small group that I ran that prepared students who were qualified for IEPs or 504s and said Uh, We're going to do this program. It's six weeks, and we're going to prepare you for post-secondary, whatever that is for you, Um, and especially if you're going to a college, because you're going to be in charge of advocating for yourself. And up to this point in your life, everything around your education has often been going on around you without your input, because often kids are not feeling like their input is really valid in those environments. And, and maybe not even participating. Like a lot of those kids that I would have in my groups didn't even know what their IEPs were for. Oh, no. Had never read it before. So the first group meeting we did, we would read through their IEPs. Mm. And I would have the school psychologist there to answer any questions for them about the, you know, jargon or technical language that they didn't understand. So we would read through their IEPs, their qualifying reason for having an IEP, all of their accommodations, and we'd kind of process, is that what you thought you were getting? Is this what you had known about yourself? Reading it this way, what does that mean to you? Are you getting the accommodations? Like, do you know how to ask for your accommodations? And it was always so interesting to see because some of the kids knew it front to back, like a very small amount. One or two of them be like, oh, yeah, I know everything about this. And then there would be a very large chunk who didn't know anything about their own education plan. That's wild. And they were seniors. I would do this group with seniors in high school who were going to graduate and help them with college applications and financial aid. And it's just, again, that's... There's so much potential. There's so much potential for this to be an amazing, supportive, um, like they're even therapeutic program that can help students understand themselves better, help their families function better when they understand more about themselves and their communication and their learning styles. Because I cannot imagine the frustration in families when a student's learning style or they are not able to process information the same way and how the communication can go awry and how that might cause conflict. But how much of this 
could be so much better. I had a, um, when I was in my program administrator, uh, whatever it's called, that one certification program, um, I forgot the name of the woman, um, but we had seminars for each major department in a traditional K through five or K through 12 system. And so we had this uh, lady come in who works for, she does special education and she, I don't remember what district she goes for, but she's a, she also does policy and she works with state ledge. And, Mm -hmm. um, I loved her. I love listening to her speak and like where she sat on this, like, where she felt you talked about that separation that growing up we often separated students from the the general classes so the general population as if they should be othered in some way and so we we may not have ever even seen a student um at any Mm -hmm. point in our academics even though they went to school with us the whole time we may have never even seen them because of how they kind of set up classrooms and spaces and start times and end times and when they go from from space to space and you were saying that and I immediately thought of one student I remember in fourth grade um I remember right before he started there was an announcement the teacher had an announcement in the class that we'd be getting a new student the following week and that um I believe he had down syndrome and um you know it was we needed to make sure that he felt welcomed and da, da, da. like there was a whole thing um and yeah the the student showed up and he ended up being like everybody's best friend he was the coolest <laughs> sweetest most energetic kid ever he celebrated you all the time like he loved to give hugs when he felt like you did something awesome and like that this young boys has stuck I mean this was fourth grade so I mean you can it's been quite some years <laughs> and so mm-hmm. um and he he resonates with me and so when you were saying like we may never I'm like yeah you're right that's like literally the only student I can think of like straight up and again these are not including students who may have those you know um unseen disabilities that may or may not have gotten the services that they should have gotten because of whatever reason right but side tangent into the story about this this uh educator who uh is a director of a sped department in some district and how um her push and this has it it's tied to funding models so those things have to change which we've talked about too is um, her push is that every student is put into gen ed courses, right? <laughs> so they are prepared for whatever, whatever it's going to be for them um, post-graduation. Um, mm-hmm. And that the biggest pushback she gets is that um, the students will either be disruptive or will make a student, other students uncomfortable. That's what she says or openly said to her huh? when she's advocating for this and really what she's just asking for is like we need more funding so there's you're allowed to have co-teachers in the room yeah and with these co-teachers you have one who specialize in working with students with disabilities in various forms on how to maintain attention de-escalate situations etc etc just like gen ed teachers should be taught how to do because sometimes they be escalating things for no reason um yes so like just specially trained and then go into a co-teaching model, which is something that most districts don't do because they can't afford co-teaching um, at all. 
And so uh, she she argues with legislate the legislature to to change their funding model for basic education to incorporate that. So it means that from the state, every district would get more money specifically for this. Um, as you can see, it hasn't happened, and ILCs are still really big. Is it ILC or I R R L C? Which one is the one that you know? Every district is different. <laughs> every district calls That's it something not different helpful but yeah so like no it's those not. basically those enclosed you're with the same students and i i in our district we do call it ilc and i i've been in some of those classrooms where i'm seeing students across grade bands um across levels of understanding across level like it's it is so so far apart from each other then like how can you put these students together and think that any of them are going to get through this experience in a forward momentum at all Mm. i haven't figured it out i know that not all classrooms are that way the classrooms that i've been in i'm like whoo these these particular students should not be lumped together because they are on such different levels of understanding because you have Mm. students who clearly understand their alphabet and can vocally express that and and can write it and can follow the directions and can do they can do all the things um and they have students who have like literally they have no idea um how to write how to how to they don't understand the letters like it's very clear and i'm like how how do you put and they're literally k through five or i've seen six through eight where they're all the grade bands are in one class all day together and i'm like how Who's learning? Who's actually learning in this class? What are you preparing them for? What skill sets are you trying to give? Because I'm not, I'm not seeing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I've been fortunate enough, I guess. I didn't realize. I thought this was more of a norm. But I've been fortunate enough to work in districts and schools. I guess maybe since we have been in the same district, maybe it was just specifically my school, who have really pushed that co-teaching model. Oh, that makes sense. And so it's been that. really, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's been really nice to see. Mm-hmm. And also, like, I'm, I'm scheduling students, of course, that's part of my job. Um, and seeing that they don't have all classes siloed, like even the the students who have extreme uh, medical needs are not kept in the same room all day, every day. And I think that's fantastic because exactly what you're saying, they're not going to be just like the kids in my group. They're not going to be in a, a small classroom with students who have been labeled similar to them after they finish school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what is that going to look like for them? And I think it's a, hmm, hmm. What words do I want to say? A hot, dirty mess. The district, the district that I came from. I worked in a district that had almost zero transition programming for students who they labeled as students who would struggle with you know, learning, Mm -hmm. acclimating to new environments. 
that they have, you know, different types of learning styles and ways of processing information, yet provided zero transition services for those students to go from high school where they have been not sheltered, but really, really like wrapped around and had everything done for them to forcing them in some cases, because I've had situations where a student has verbalized to me, I am not ready. My parents say that I'm done at their house when I graduate, and I don't know how to get an apartment. I don't know how I'm going to get a job, especially with their their specific diagnosis. They didn't have the job skills. They didn't have like the resume. And it's unconscionable to send them out and force them pretty much because I I fought really hard to try to get that student to stay in like just what what can we offer them? But it and it's just sad that it's so different from district to district Mm -hmm. what students get that some students get a push in model. Some students get co-teaching And other students will get really, really supportive transition programs that set them up with internships and bus passes and uh, financial literacy classes and all that good stuff that they need extra, extra attention for. Mm -hmm. And then the next district over, like you live a street over and you're not going to get any of that. It's just, you know, we've talked about this before. There's so many things wrong with the system. This really turned from a motherhood straight into <laughs> upset counseling. with the system <laughs> straight into education <laughs> instead. It wasn't the intent. I love education. I really do. I feel like I bash it a lot. I've realized lately that I'm like, Ugh, stupid institution. Um, but I do love it. And I think that's why it's really easy to transition into the, and it's a very nurturing area. So maybe that's why we transitioned into it. I don't know. (laughs) I think if we, obviously we have our concerns and our problems with the system that we work in, but also if we didn't love it, if we didn't believe that it was able to make a positive impact, we wouldn't be in it. Right. I would develop new skills. Maybe. I don't know. I'm trying to win the lottery. (laughs) so i mean okay because this somehow transitioned into more of uh, a work work focused how would you from a counselor's perspective or how do you since you work since you do work with families and you've you've kind of seen the spectrum in terms of parent response or family response you know i one of the the biggest things like my pediatrician said to me when i brought up the thing about my child was that she was just thankful that I asked the questions um, and encouraged more in-depth looking um, because, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the things that were happening are easily overlooked. They're not big things. They don't impact m- anything, really, except for not talking. He doesn't talk. That does impact mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of things in some ways, especially if you don't know him. <laughs> But like he still gets his point across. I understand. He still gets his point across. Exactly. So I'm like, so of course I have to prepare him for a world where he's not dealing with his mother and his grandmother who Mm -hmm. understand him. So like, and that's how this all kind of started. And she was just so thankful 
Um, and just really like, I, I think I've heard it from multiple people at this point of like not shying away from recognizing that there may be something going on and let's, let's figure it out because then at least we can be better prepared as we move into the ages of school. And like, instead of coming on, like coming at the teacher weird or like having some sort of weird interaction with my child because they're doing or not doing something in school that is expected mm-hmm. because of because I've ignored kind of the prerequisite prerequisite skill sets or whatever you know before that mm-hmm. right so this was all like all of this is tied to how do I make sure my my son is is capable he's able to get through this system he's able to maneuver through life and be successful and happy and loved and healthy and all of those things um I didn't shy away from it. So what do you as a counselor, how would you encourage parents to kind of put their pride and ego aside and see their child as a whole being and getting them to lower their guard and seek that help? Like, what would you say? What would you do? What would you tell a friend? I know that's harder when you're dealing with certain people, but like, what would you do? Like talk to me and a friend or like, <laughs> you know <laughs> I, don't, I don't know just i mean from your perspective as a counselor just speaking from a counselor perspective and if you'd like to speak from like the mom perspective um what are your thoughts i put you on the spot i'm thinking i'm thinking i've done i you know i've done a lot of not a lot well it is a lot because at my i've only worked at high schools right mm-hmm. so it's supposed to be a rare occurrence that you're referring a student for a, a special education evaluation where they do all the tests that you have been talking about, that your son is going through going through all of that testing right now. Um, so it's supposed to be rare. Kids are supposed to be caught a lot earlier mm-hmm. through parent intervention teacher intervention whatever so it's supposed to be rare I'm not supposed to make a lot of them but I have not had a single school year where I have not had multiple students referred for special education evaluations and to have gone through evaluations Hmm. so I I have dealt with it (laughs) more than I thought that I would going into a high school I didn't think that many students were qualified for services that late and ideally they aren't um i think the tact that i usually take if a family is hesitant is that i frame it not as we're labeling your kid this way they're behind they've got so much that they need to learn and catch up on like we need to get them in this special thing to make things easier for them or anything like that, because that actually isn't what it is. But I say, look at how many rights your child would have if they qualified for this program. Look how many services they would qualify for that otherwise other people have to pay out of pocket for or might not be able to access at all. So I really try to get parents to lean in on the benefits that all this extra funding, 
all this extra staffing, all this individual attention is going to be put on your child to make sure that they are getting what they need and they are being successful and we're making sure that we're setting goals for them and helping them get to those goals. So that's the way I frame it with families that I'm talking to in schools Mm -hmm. because they do have a lot more rights, like with everything, with everything. You have different rights when it comes to uh, discipline. You have different rights when it comes to scheduling. You have different rights when it comes to staffing. So it's there's a lot of benefits just on that. And I think a lot of families lean into that and are happy to hear that their child, who, who wouldn't be? Yeah. Who wouldn't be happy to hear that someone is going to be able to get your child extra attention? And you know what? If it turns out that they don't need it or it doesn't work, you don't have to stay in it. Like it's not forced. You can get out of it. It's not required. So that's that's how I present it to families. To a friend, as a mother, I think I always encourage people to lean into that. Because the earlier the interventions that you put in place, the likelier it is that your child isn't going to even need those services when they're older. And it's possible to to test out a special education. Like, the de- it's designed that it's not generally supposed to be this lifelong thing where your child's always going to be in these special classes. The, the whole point is to try to equip them with the skills that they need to to get them out of it. They want your child to <laughs> accelerate through skills. They want your child to meet these goals. Uh, that's that's the end point of this is to get your child to the point where they don't even need it anymore, if that's a possibility. And if you delay it, hmm. the the flip side of the labeling is a child who is sitting in class and knows that they're not understanding something the way that their peers are understanding it and are not being given access to what they need to be able to. And the impact that can have on a kid is tremendous. How their self-esteem is. Like, I just don't get anything. I can't learn. I'm not a learner. I'm not a good student. I'm not a scholar. Uh, The impact that could have on a parent looking at their kid and wondering why, like, why is this not going right? Why are the grades not coming through? And and ignoring the problem isn't going to make it go away. Just like a medical problem. Like, like it, take me, for example, I had that lump, that tumor for a long time. And I did not get it checked out because I didn't, I almost didn't want to know, which is counterintuitive because... The same way with this, the longer you let it go, the worse it's going to get. Like nothing is going to get better by ignoring a problem. I'm going to prove you wrong one day. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I absolutely agree. (laughs) I absolutely agree. (laughs) I just imagine you like ignoring something wrong with your car and then having it. Look, it miraculously fixed itself, Maria. 
I feel like evolution, that is what's supposed to happen at some point. <laughs> like we're going to learn how to grow new arms if they get cut off or something. I don't even know what I said. Cut off? Let me see if I can speak the English. <laughs> don't even... Yeah. No, I love every, I love that. I love what you would, it's a hard thing to approach. I, you know, I, um, I, you know, obviously I live with mom and, and her and I get in these conversations and I know that there's a part of this process because she's here and she's kind of seeing me and watching me. And of course she had seven kids and, you know, like, and she Mm -hmm. was obviously raised in a different generation than I was raised. And so like, just kind of the different, like the generational shifts and understanding all of that, like just trying to work through all the things with her um can both be um wonderful and then very frustrating and then whatever right like we're on the same page Mm -hmm, but maybe mm -hmm. we're not on the same page because of this like it's it's been a wild a wild ride um to just kind of and i i'm I'm trying not to not talk about it you know so somebody asks you know i've talked you know my supervisor about it because of course it's taking time out of my work day um Mm -hmm. you know to, to go handle all the things i'm not trying to like I don't want to use it as, you know, like a bad, you know, like some parents, they'll be like, my child has this thing. And then it becomes like this, this shield for them for however they're going to use it. Some use it for ego trips. Mm-hmm. Some use it for like, they like the empathy and the, and the, the sympathy, mm. you know? And I'm like, I don't want to use it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about it that way. But I also am like, I don't want to, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but I try to not not talk about it. Um, no, I, I totally see what you're saying because it reminds me of our conversations about mental health. Mm-hmm. Like you just like have not to do talking it. about it. Yeah, you have to talk to talk about it. Not talking about it doesn't make it not exist. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't make it not better. Doesn't minimize the impact that it's having on people. Um, so yeah, not shying away for that conversation just because it's been stigmatized, I think is important. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah. So thank you for being hard. Who's always like, cause we've, we've now talked to this, but talk about this like two or three times at this point, but like, um, it's a, it is a whirlwind and I, you know, I, I got off a, a zoom call earlier this week to, that was determining particular services for this particular school that I want to mm-hmm. put him in. And the reality is I, I wanted him to qualify for the program because there are some mm-hmm. things that because of COVID and the age he was when COVID hit, that when I think about the things that he may be not doing that are typical for his age or whatever mm. it is, I'm like, yeah, but he's, you know, a lot of those typical things that would happen are because kids that age are around kids that age. Um, mm-hmm. And so they see it. And they, you know, they interact with each other because those things are not something that, you know, 35 plus, 60 plus, whatever age plus old people in the house are going to do. Yeah. And so, like, I wanted him to get into a program that would expand on his his love of learning because he clearly loves to learn and i really feel like he'll thrive in that (laughs) academic setting for that purpose but like really to give him that socialization but in a small group setting rather than like a full classroom Mm -hmm. because covid is still a thing and Mm three-year-olds don't wear masks i don't care like some of them are great (laughs) most of them suck and my child really like had like 
there's a true adversity to wearing his the mask which is mm. also leads to some other conversation so like everything that happened in that meeting the result was what i wanted but i still i took the time off of work because i knew i'd need time to just kind of emotionally mm, kind mm-hmm. of recover from it because it's not bad and that's the thing like i say it and it sounds bad you guys it's not bad it's not like a bad at all um it, it's just again as the parent as the mom as the one who like from day one like all day every day like (laughs) I really feel like it's my personal responsibility to make sure that my child doesn't have to struggle in life and especially not struggle in life because of archaic ridiculous expectations and norms Mm. that aren't real Mm -hmm. um and some of some of the the DSM-5 diagnoses really stem from that stereotypical normative mm-hmm. not real thing um but i'm like i know he's gonna have to live in in this world and this world isn't perfect and like no parent wants to see their student their child struggle or have a hard mm-hmm. time and so like i legit like i cried like three different times um and i just kind of stayed like i just kind of stayed in my space i was doing some stuff to prep for a meeting that i had to jump into when i was officially back on the clock and I just had mm-hmm. to like process through it and you know and then I I had a good conversation with my mom and we kind of were combative with each other but for no reason because we we're kind of arguing the same things and so we're like this is what I'm trying to do this is the purpose and she's like what's the purpose and I'm like this is the purpose and she's like exactly hold on to the purpose and so like <laughs> But it was like a just a really tense day um, that just the whole day was kind of shot in terms of my um, I wasn't responding well to other people. Just like I was short. Mm. People were messaging me. I was reading emails and all kind of negativity. And so I was like, let me not respond mm-hmm. to that person because they're probably not saying it this way. But this is how I'm taking it in. <laughs> and I need to calm down, you know. And so like I just, you know, to any moms who may be listening to this pod, I don't know who listens to this podcast. So anybody who's interested, who are parents, um, like it's a it's a process, but you can't be afraid of it. You can't be afraid of it because like Maria just said, like the longer you wait to handle the challenge, to even see it and then deal with it, the harder it becomes to to deal with it. Because it may not even be as serious. Like all of this stuff that my son may be going through may all really subside because some of the things that he's doing, not doing are environmental. He hasn't had access to those Mm -hmm. things. He had, you know what I mean? And so it may not even Mm -hmm. be what the assumption is because he just hasn't had the the opportunity to show his true self in a space. And so like parents just, just, Go ask questions. Read a book. I mean, I don't read books. Me and Maria obviously don't read books. So <laughs> if you like to read a book or a pamphlet, go for it. Go ask a doctor question. Uh, if you listen to any of our previous podcasts, you know that you need your mouth guard. So maybe go talk to a therapist and maybe ask questions. <laughs> they may know what to do next. But just don't. It's hard. It's hard. And it's sad. Yeah. But... And acknowledge that it's hard. Yeah. Find your people. I mean, I think you you brought it you brought it full circle back to being a mom. 
who is just worried about her kid. Yeah. Who wants the best for their kid. And this is scary. And the first reaction, especially for moms, is what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. What could I have done better? And what should I be doing right now <laughs> right. to fix it? <laughs> You know what? I, I kind of want to end on a question okay. that my therapist often asks me. Do I have to answer Because it? I have my mouth guard. No, I don't think we have to answer it. Okay. Uh, yeah, you can if you want. I feel like you already did. Okay. So my therapist will often ask me, do I think I'm a good mom? Ugh. <laughs> I love that response. <laughs> what? What kind of question do I think I'm a good mom? Most of the time. Mm-hmm. I refuse to believe that there isn't room for improvement. And, mm-hmm. But I think what makes people good parents is that they can acknowledge that and they do what it takes to get better each day. But I Isn't it I would die for my child and I would I would live for my child. I read that somewhere probably on Facebook where they were like mm-hmm. I hear every I hear a lot of people saying that they would die for their child, but would they do what's necessary to live for their child? And I was like, Oh dang. Mm-hmm. Hold up. Like <laughs> let me let me pause that real quick because I don't think I had ever been asked that. So I um, today, I think I can say, yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I'm like, I'm okay. Isn't it interesting? I feel like it's interesting that that was like not an immediate answer that you had to pause and think about it. Because if someone asked me if you were a good mom, I no zero, zero thinking time. Yes. Kirsten is an amazing mom. And I just think it's very interesting to sit with that question and also think about the pressures of motherhood mm-hmm. and and how much we, we put on ourselves and how much we judge ourselves for what we're doing and how we're doing it and what we could be doing. And is it legitimate? Are we giving ourselves enough credit? Hell no. <laughs> I can answer that one quick. You're that self criticisms and you know yeah you don't and no one prepares you like when people talk about they always ask you when you have babies and blah 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 and society really pushes people to have babies um and they make it seem like it's just, just this beautiful glorious thing <laughs> and i'm like <laughs> Y'all didn't tell me I was signing up for 24-7 worry sessions for no goddamn reason. Like, I'll just randomly in my head be like, oh, what if my son isn't breathing right now and he's sleeping? I need to go check. Like, what is that? It's just like this um, just this weird thing in the back of my mind that's like, oh, 
something gotta make sure gotta make sure he's okay and that's that's just that's just one type of worry that not only is that 24 (laughs) 7 not only is that 24 7 that is for the rest of our lives lives. it doesn't even end when they're past like i thought it would just be like no the i was so afraid of um sid's Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. afraid and i'm like when when do you have when do you can you calmly stop worrying about that and i thought it was a few months and they were like oh no no no." like you can you all the way through like 18 months of the sits thing and then who knows after that and i'm like what (laughs) i'm never sleeping again I, I am almost certain that my parents still worry about me when I drive away from their house <laughs> with my kids in my car. I mean, I still worry about you. That's why I make you text me when you get home. So Same. I mean, yes. I And it's, I, I'm not trying to minimize that, but like, I think for parents, it's like a thousand times worse, that level of worry when you drive away. But I think you've also been raised well when you do that to your friends. <laughs> You're like... Text me. Don't don't be weird. Right? Are you home? And you had the you same alive? kind of parents. <laughs> you also had the same type of parents exactly. who wanted to make sure that you were okay. <laughs> I think that they're. I don't even know. I one day I'm gonna talk to my mom, and maybe maybe that's a uh, a show we want to do in the future, where we talk to our 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 mothers about like when you were Ooh. off in Italy, living away, even when you're at Central, where you're not just readily there. Like what, how they felt when they had truly an empty nest, all their children are gone, like all of those things. Because I feel like I need to talk to adults who've been through that because I, I oddly think about, sorry, when my child is going to be an adult, what that means and what that feels like or could potentially feel like. And I, you know, it could be fun or sad i think it would be super fun to interview our moms but for lots of different reasons (laughs) (laughs) i don't even think they know Um, each other which is weird i you know tangentially i think they have they know each other i think our oldest brothers were in some sort of boy scouts together oh probably for a little while probably that makes sense and going back to what you said you said people say have a baby it's glorious it's wonderful it's a miracle (laughs) <laughs> it is though it is, it is glorious it's all of those it things it is wonderful it is joyous i am up at 2 a.m with my nine month old almost 10 month old and after he eats i just like i hold him and i stare at him and i'm like what is this and then i look at my five-year-old who's running around and like speaking full sentences at me and has his own opinions and is telling these terrible nonsensical jokes and I'm like what is that like <laughs> I made a whole human and he's huge and he he speaks and has opinions and has thoughts and it's it's just insane to me and it blows my mind every time but it is also terrifying mm-hmm. it's scary it's hard it's maddening and it it all just balances out you can't see my face right now, but my nose is scrunched and um, mm. something about uh, your child having opinions. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) 
Thank you so much for listening. This podcast was recorded on Muckleshoot, Duwamish, Stillaguamish, and Coast Salish land. Visit our website at nkletstalk.com. Find us on social media at nkletstalk. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And your fact for today is that people are actually more creative in the shower. The hot water increases our dopamine flow. Go get your dopamine on. (laughs) 